You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Good morning, RCC. I just want to lean in right away without any formal introductions and let you know that today's sermon is going to be so very important. Now, don't get me wrong, every sermon's always important because it's about God's Word. It doesn't matter where we're at in the Bible. It's God's Word. It's precious. It's valuable. It's steady. It's stable. It's secure. But today, specifically, as we've been marching for a year and a half through the book of Ephesians, we've landed in an important part of the text that pulls everything together. And so today is going to be even a longer sermon than even for our church. And, and I really want your heart to be in the right place this morning. And so I'm, I'm asking you to lean in. I'm asking you to steady and ready your heart. Because, folks, this is what it's all about right here in the text. And we're going to open up a very, very big and important conversation. So, so gather your, your, your family, gather your loved ones and your friends, and, and, and pray and ask God to give you the strength and the endurance and the perspective that you need so that you can engage from the right place and the right heart in today's sermon. I'm so excited for what God has for you today. Let's enter into God's Word. Grace and peace. Oh yeah, it's Bible time. Let's see what we can find. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And we're going to be in this beautiful text in just a little bit as we continue forward in our Ephesians series titled, Our Story, Moving In Because of God's Power into His Story. I want to keep reminding you that this series is all about discovering who God is, learning radically who, who's the God of the universe, who's the creator. And then once we know that, it's about finding ourselves in, in him. And, and here remains our aim. If you're coming at the, the last leg of our Ephesians series, this is our aim. We've been lifting it up for over a year and a half now. And, and here it is. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, even if you consider yourself a deepening Christian, or even if this is your first time coming to church and you're trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing, our hope in this series is that when you open your mind and you soften your heart, that you would have a radical experience experience with the God of the universe like you've never had before. Now, now last week in part 34 titled The Atoms, the Universe, and Submission in the Workplace, it all counts. We learned that Paul addresses both bond servants and, and masters because the people of that time in the in the olden days of the Bible were, were grumbling and they're saying to Paul, they're saying, hey, hey, I'm a slave and I'm not in charge of myself and someone else is in, in charge of me and I'm always a big fan of how they're leading me. So so tell me what it looks like, Apostle Pastor Paul, to to work under them and to submit practically as a as a spirit-filled Christian. And so and so Paul pastors them and therefore we get this wise biblical instruction. We learned this last week week of how to be spirit-filled bond servants or employees under our employers. And we learned that God operates both in the big miraculous moments, the big aha moments of our life, but he also is working in the small and seemingly insignificant moments of our life because, folks, we learned that it all counts. We learned that when we became Christians, we became bond servants of Christ because we we tapped out, we looked up, and we linked, we linked in. And that and that means that we learned 
learned this last week, right, that we surrendered our rights and we offered our services for God's glory and for the benefit of others, right? We do it for people's good and we get joy and satisfaction in that. We learned that, therefore, when we are going to our workplace for the eight-hour shift, for the three-hour shift, man, we are to go the extra mile, the second mile, the 15th mile as spirit-filled, as spirit-filled Christians. We are to work like we're getting paid, folks, a an $8 million salary so that we can show people what heaven looks like in our activities. And finally, we learned that every leader and every pastor, every manager or director, every person who bears authority of, over others are to use that same Christ-centered motivations Paul talked about in that text, and they are to do it with a humble posture, just like the bondservant, onto the Lord. And so there was a wise warning to you, if you're in authority over other people, to not abuse your authority and to never believe that your authority is limitless because because this is not and you are submitting to the ultimate authority of God and he's going to he's going to hold you accountable and that brings us to our uh, part 35 today titled readying for the battle in the Christian war wow and we're going to be looking at segment A of this conversation and it's going to be all about God's strength in God's in God's might, and I believe we uh, we will find ourselves in the book of Ephesians for about maybe two or three more sermons before we officially wrap things up in this in this beautiful beautiful series that our church has been marching through. And man, and man, this letter from Paul has been challenging me, and I'm and I'm hoping it's been growing you up over the last year or so as we we all are on this journey of maturing in Christ through the instructions of the God of the universe. And, and the goal of this series is not only to discover who we are in, in Christ or who we are in God, but it's to deepen our relationship with him as lovers, folks, as lovers of God. And, and, and that's really the whole point of everything we're doing in our relationship with Jesus. Are you tracking? When we study God's word or we engage in repentance or we are fellowshipping with one another as brothers and sisters or we're taking communion or we're singing songs of adorations to our king, all of it is to expand our love. It's to deepen our love for the God of the universe. It's about growing and deepening our fellowship with him, learning how to be satisfied in God forever. Okay, and so today is going to be all about diving head first towards the end goal of learning what it means to deepen our love for God as we explore what it means to stand for God, to stand in Christ as victor- excuse me, as victorious Christians. And, and you remember those, those three stages that we walked that we talked about right earlier on in the Ephesians stories. We're going to take a couple minutes to look back at that little clip for a second. It was part 13 of our Ephesians series where I laid that out. It's also going to be your first fill-in for today's sermon. So let's, let's take a look at that now. So here's what Paul is really trying to teach us, and I want to show you on this graph so you can understand. This whole book of Ephesians, this is what he's weaving, okay? First, the first thing that Ephesians is teaching us is that we need to sit. Everybody say sit. You got to sit before the God of the universe. (laughs) You got to sit before him. You can't do anything. God chose you. You did not choose him. You were so dead to rights. On your best day, you are filthy rags is what Jesus says in the gospels. You can't do anything. So in chapters one through three, Okay, remember, let's get context for those who have not been marching with us through Ephesians. 
Paul is under light chain house arrest. The P he has messengers coming to visit him from multiple churches, but specifically the church of Ephesus. And they're saying there's division, there's this, there's that. And Paul opens up the letter. He does not lean in and fix relationships. He does not lean in to the division. He starts off his I, my name, Paul, slave of Christ Jesus. This is who your God is. This is who he is. This is what he's done for you. Wait a minute, Paul, I thought you're, wait, 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 wait. We asked for help in our division. Paul says, I know, I got this. Let me explain to you who God is. Let me explain to you who God is. So you got to sit and you got to learn and you got to meditate upon who God is and what he's done for you. And then as you sit and you are full of the word of God and you are full of understanding that you are chosen, you are adopted, you are forever wealthy, you have been redeemed and equipped for all that you need, then you need to walk. That's your second one. Then you need to walk. You got to walk that out. But here's where we make a mistake as Bible believing Christians. Most of us, we don't do that. We come into a relationship with the Lord and we start walking right away. We start doing and performing and tiring ourselves out. But you never set and let God be your Abba Father, your dad. So you got to sit. Then you got to walk. And we're getting ready to be transitioning in chapter four to the walk. And then in the last segment, which we're going to look at in chapter six, one day when we get to chapter six, then we're going to learn how to stand. Then we're going to learn how to stand. Standing is different than walking. Walk, standing is a type of firmness. When I stand in attention in the military, it, it's, a, it's a posture of strength. It's a declaration that, I, that you cannot move me. So then we're going to learn how do we not just walk in the faith? How do we stand firm in our faith? How do we, or how I've been ruling it out is how do we defend our Christian walk? Now, Amen. the whole point of Ephesians is to make sure that you and I, I'm going, to be, I'm going to repeat this about like 35 more times because I told Pastor Jack, man, I'm having a hard time transitioning to chapter four because this is where I see people getting lost in all the actions. So I'm going to repeat something like 35 times. Get, get ready for it. <laughs> Ephesians is all about understanding what God has done for you. Then, no, no, I'm sorry. Ephesians is all about understanding who God is first. Then what God has done and it has to happen in this order. And then what God now wants you to do. You can't mess up that order. You can't even think about what God's done for you until you understand first who he is. Who he is, what he's done, what he's calling. Okay, so as we start to descend on Paul's plane at the, at the end of Ephesians and we prepare to land and exit out of this plane of everything that we've been learning about sitting and walking and standing, as we walk off this plane, folks, I want you to know, and Paul wants you to know in the text, that you are walking directly into a war directly into our war. So, so in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10, we learn how to stand and how to defend our faith and our love for God and our relationship with, with others and, and how we walk out our purpose in life. That's what this is about, folks. It's about learning how to stand as a victorious Christian. So, so think of today as the first part of a three-part conversation where Paul gives us our final marching orders as we exit the plane and we enter into battle in this great Christian 
war. And this war is being fought with God on our side, praise Christ, as we go and get and engage against the enemy and all his demonic forces and minions and, and servants. And folks, that is a very, very serious reality. So, so we need to buckle up right now. We need to fasten our seatbelts and sit tight on this radically descending plane as we read God's word now. So, so let's do this. Let's pick up in Ephesians chapter 6, verse verse 10. Let's, let's do that now. Finally. Oh man, and that word finally is almost like therefore. You see, Paul is saying, because of everything I've shared with you throughout my letter up to this point, because of everything that has been established from chapter 1 all the way through chapter, chapter 6, be strong in the Lord. Okay, let's look at that again. Verse 10 through 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And the word schemes in the Greek is methodio or methodia, and it means the methods. Paul is saying, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and to put on the whole armor of God that you and me might be able to stand against the various methods, the methodio of the devil. Because Satan utilizes various methods perfectly crafted to attack you and me and, and her and him and them and all of us, folks, so much differently. And so and so Satan targets you and he, and he targets me and he says, oh, oh yeah, I, I got a, a special method for, for that guy, and I got a special and perfect scheme for, for that woman, and I know how I'm going to take them all out. I'm going to literally crush their heads. I'm going to crush their sit and walk anthem so they might lose their heart. I'm going to blow up their whole identity and all their Christ-centered activities. Okay, and so Paul with great strength says, hey, be strong in the Lord, because when you get off this plane and you enter into this war, there are some bad guys that are after you, and you have some things you need to be aware of. So folks, we don't need to just put on some armor, but when, but where we're going, we're going to need the whole armor of God. Okay, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And this is so radically important. You see, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against these four demonic categories of enemies. And, and they're on your screen right here. Okay, so so here's the four demonic categories of our of our enemies. Number one, we, we wrestle against the rulers. Okay, uh, who are the rulers? We'll, we'll talk about that. Number two, we wrestle against the authorities. Number three, we wrestle against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. And then finally, number four, we wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil in the 
heavenly places. Hmm, what does that mean? Now, we're probably not going to be able to dive into each one of these four categories and ranking systems of the demonic realm in this series fully. Um, honestly, if we did that, we would start to inch towards a 40-part sermon series. And I believe, though, for, for this service, though, we really want to spend our time in the next couple of weeks camping out and focusing on breaking down the whole armor of God. That's going to be our main aim. But for now, I, I do want you to know that Paul is basically listing a bunch of bad guys here, folks. And and they're definitely, they're definitely B-A-D. This verse is a strong reminder to us that these guys are out there hunting you down and hunting me down. And folks, they're not half bad. They're, they're categorically bad. And I don't know how this sits with you when you hear that. But I know I want to wake up each and every morning and for things to go normal in my life, right? Like we all want to wake up and, and on time and we want our breakfast to be awesome and we want our relationships to be peaceful and we just want to have a good time. Hey, but Paul's saying, nope, that's not how it's going to go. It's time to armor up. Each day, you and me have to prepare and go to war. We have to stand and we have to defend and fight and enter into the Christian war with Jesus against Satan and each of these four categories of bad guys, folks. And and that's that's our aim and, and that's what we've been called to do. Okay, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Oh man, I just love the the specificity of God's word right here, right? Like God's word doesn't say to take up just a piece of that armor. The word of God doesn't say to be lazy and to pick up half of the armor, but we are instructed to pick up the whole armor armor of God. Oh man, RCC, that's going to be so very important later as we learn today in our sermon and over the next two weeks. But for now, just know that we got to pick up the armor, folks. But we first, we first need to be strong in the Lord by the power of his might. And then we could put on the whole armor of God. But folks, that order is so very important. We have to first be strong in the Lord by his power, and that's our foundation. Putting on the whole armor of God without the foundation of the Lord's strength, folks, it's absolutely meaningless. So so first we have to be strong in the Lord, and then we put on the whole armor of God, and then we're ready radically ready to enter into this Christian war against these rulers and these authorities and these cosmic powers of this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that Paul is alluding to. Okay, and God in his love inspires Paul and tells us exactly why we need to do this. Let's 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 look again at verse 13 and let's just keep reading that some more. So therefore, right, therefore because of all these these four enemies going on, we got to take up the whole armor of God, right? We saw that. That's the second time he mentioned the whole armor of God. It's important. And and what's the why? That you and me may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, folks, is so we can stand firm. Okay, so let's just stop right here because I want you to consider something. I don't know how far we're going to make it in today's teaching time, but I just need you to see so clearly this point today. You see, this is a twofold call from the God of the universe. It's a call to arms and war, 
and it's also a call to stand. Man, this is so clear. It's so simple, yet it's so powerful, and it's so productive. Paul is calling Christians everywhere to just simply stand in the strength of the Lord, and then in the power of his might, with the whole armor of God, enter enter into the war. You and me as Christ followers have to step in and just stand there and not run away anymore. We got to stop fleeing and instead be willing to take on our enemies for the rest of our lives. Folks, you just got to do it. Listen, all throughout your life, you are going to take hits, and you're going to be taking on water on your boat, and, and ammo is going to be shot at you, and arrows are going to be coming for you. And Paul is saying, stand up, get ready to defend, get ready for battle every day of your life as an imitator of Christ. Folks, it's an, it's an expectation for us to be the hands and the feet of King Jesus despite the darkness. It's, a, it's an exhortation for you to be the odd man or the odd woman or the odd family out. It's about being willing to stand firm against a world that says we can change the rules to match our wants. And that's happening every single day, folks. And I want you to know that. Humanity wants things that are not right. So they're trying to change the rules and they're trying to change the boundaries and they're trying to change definitions and the order of God's design to create convenience so they can activate the things they want. But the Bible, the Bible doesn't change. Like, have you noticed that? As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the one thing that does need to change is not the rules or the order of God's creation, but folks, it's us. It's our hearts that need to change. The Bible says we need to change our hearts and our lifestyles in order to be lined up with the Word of God, not the other way around. And the way you do that is to simply read the Bible and to see what the Bible says, and then you stand up for that, folks. You, you live for that. You defend that. You proclaim that. You activate that. You disciple others into that. You believe that. You repent when you fall short of that. You worship the God of the universe regarding what regarding that like folks are you are you getting this now now do you notice in verse 13 the orientation of our posture in this war like it doesn't say to go to do a bunch of attacking and aggressive military maneuvers does it just just look at the word withstand or let's look at the word stand firm both of these have implications of defense and, and strength and preparation, right? So, so in other words, this, this verse is communicating that you don't have to go around proving yourself or forcing, the or forcing the story of God on people around the world. But it is saying that you better be able to have an answer about your God first within your heart and then secondly for others when you're challenged. Paul is saying when, when darkness comes to invade over the light, you better be able to withstand that storm and stand firm in the faith and conquer that darkness for the glory of God. Because God rules and Satan rules, right? Because light wins against Satan and all his sins. And, and let me tell you something. I do believe with all my heart, if Christians would just stand, we, we don't need to stand violently, we don't need to go around kicking others, but if we would just stand and confidently say, no matter what you're saying, it's not true. I'm not going to engage in that. I'm not going to participate in that. I'm just going to stand upon the word of God. I'm going to do what's right. If, if Christians would just do that and invite others into that, what would happen to our world? 
But but right now we are living in a world filled with millions and millions of Christians that are just too scared to simply say what the Bible says about, about heaven and about hell and about sin and righteousness and judgment to come. Listen, folks, we, we cannot be filled with fear and timidity, folks. We've been called to stand. We have to stand. We have to be strong. Okay, let's keep let's keep tracking to verse 14 as we kind of open up this mini uh mini three-part series on the armor of God. Here's verse 14. Stand therefore. You got to stand. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So, so in the Roman days, when a soldier would get ready, the belt would be the last thing to go on his body after everything else. You see, the belt kind of brought everything together. And listen, do you think the belt of truth is important to us these days? Like, like how many of us want to have the truth in our lives? We, we don't want a bunch of lies in our relationships or our circumstances, right? We want the truth. We are desperate for the truth. Okay, so, so here's the truth about the truth. Jesus said in John chapter 8 that the devil is the father of all lies. And then he said in John 10 that we are to abide in his word, and his word is to abide in us, and that we would know the truth, and the truth would set us free. Oh man, the belt, the belt, the belt, the belt is so important. But but I'm getting ahead of myself, folks. You'll have to keep tuning in for the last couple sermons if you want to get the in-depth version of, of all these things. Let's let's keep let's keep tracking in, in verse 14. Okay, so so stand there for us, um, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Oh man, this is going to be fun to talk about as well when we really get going. And this is going to be all about learning how to protect your heart with the breastplate of righteousness. So so do you have a heavy heart? Do we have a heavy heart sometimes? Yes, we do. Uh, have you ever had a broken heart? We, we all can say we've had a broken heart. It, folks, I want you to know it's due to unrighteousness. Uh, excuse me, unrighteousness. Like willful sin will break your heart every single time. So so God says, let me just heal your heart through the redemption plan of the blood-bought gift of my son Jesus. And then afterwards, let's put on the breastplate to protect that renewed heart from sin and the methods of the enemy. Oh man, I, I don't want to go any deeper right now. Let's let's keep let's keep tracking. Okay, so so stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Okay, okay, so here Paul is saying that you are to make sure your feet are covered and ready to go. Because because you are and, and I'm we're, we're ambassadors of the gospel of peace. Like what an amazing responsibility we have, right? Like like who would want the good news about complete and total peace? I'd say a lot of people do, right? So so perhaps this is the most important part of it all, especially when we consider that shoes are part of the armor of God that directly benefits not only ourselves, but others. And, and just think about it. How important are your feet? 
like like they're critically important, right? They they literally allow you to move and navigate and accomplish things. And and how many of you have ever wore really dumb, stupid shoes before? And by the end of the night, your feet hurt real bad, and you throw those suckers off. You're like, man, I need new new shoes. So so we all make sure that our shoes on our feet work relatively well. We put time and attention, and we often spend the appropriate amount of money to make sure our feet are protected and set up for success, right? Okay, so here Paul is saying your feet need to be covered by the gospel of peace. It's an exhortation with a expectation for us to be active and equipped with the gospel each day and everywhere we go. Folks, there is absolutely, hey, hey, there is no category for Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians who don't share the gospel as a part of their engagement in this Christian war against the spiritual forces of darkness. Are you tracking? You can't keep claiming Christ, and yet you've never won any souls of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, this whole new modern-day Christian that's been walking with Jesus for, for five years and seven years and ten years, but you have no evidence in your life at all of walking a unbeliever, not a not a church transfer, a, a unbeliever to the cross. Man, that's not even a category to Paul's mind. It's it's a sign of maturity. It's a sign also when that's not happening. That's something, folks, has gone terribly wrong. Your whole life is about going to places and talking at places and presenting the gospel. The gospel. The gospel, folks. So, so Paul is saying, when you leave your home, put on your shoes of the gospel of peace and be ready to walk and fight and run and jog for Jesus as you embody and display and present the gospel of peace. You just need to do it. And and those in the darkness, folks, they radically need it. Oh man, I can't wait to fillet this part open, but but I'm getting ahead of myself uh, <laughs> again. Let's Let's keep tracking to verse 16. Okay, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Hey, hey, you know what you know what in all means in the Greek? It means in all. You know what in all means in, in Hebrew? It means in all. Okay, so in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What does that mean? Okay, okay, so in all circumstances, which in the Greek translates to above all, which literally translates to mean contextually. Here we go, ready? on top of. Wow. And that understanding is going to be so important because it's not saying above all in terms of importance. It's not saying, hey, above the, sh- the, the shoes, uh, above the breastplate. No, it's meaning it's meaning above all or on top of. That's, that's important. Paul is saying, take up the shield of faith and place it above or in front of the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of the gospel of peace as your shield of protection. Oh, RCC, that is so deep and yet so, so, so productive and so simple. Paul is saying in Scripture that when we take up the shield of faith, it literally has the power and the ability in Christ to distinguish all the offensive maneuvers and attack protocols of the four different categories of the demonic enemies. 
that's going to be so important. So, so while we are decked out with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, and we're covered by the shoes of the gospel of peace, Paul's saying to not forget that we are going to get shot at daily. This isn't a fashion show. Every single day, Satan, the captain of the demonic forces, engages folks in this Christian war against you. And when he does, he attacks you at the belt level of truth level. He attacks you at the breastplate of the righteousness level and at the shoes of the gospel of peace. So in other words, Every single day, Satan, the captain of the demonic forces, is engaging in a Christian war to literally attack you so that you might compromise the truth of God and that he might compromise your ability to walk a holy and sanctified life and to ultimately fill you with sin and shame so as to remove your ability to believe the gospel of peace for your own life, leading you to not share it with others. And so God instructed Paul to let us know that we need to have the armor up with that shield of faith. We got to put it in front of it. You get it? So we can defend ourselves from those fiery, deceptive, and eternity separating darts from the evil one. Now, now let me let me give you some historical context, okay? So we can even more clearly see how deep this illustration is going when Paul's when Paul's giving it to the people or the church of Ephesus. Did you know that in the olden days from which Paul's speaking, they would carve out these battle shields, right? These battle shields with wood, and they pr- would proceed right before the war to drench them in water. You see, they they did this so that when the enemies shot those fiery darts, it would and when it hit the shield, the fire on that dart would immediately go out because of the drenched and soaked wood. So when the enemy shot that arrow, not only did the shield stop the arrow from penetrating the soldier's heart, but the water-soaked wood would drown out the fire, stopping the arrow's ability to spread that fire onto the soldier and his nearby soldiers. You've seen that in the movies before, right? So, so when Paul tells us we are to take up the shield of faith in front of those other pieces of God's armor, it is legit. It's deep. It's not only to protect ourselves from being pierced at the soul level from the Satan and these four demonic forces, but it also is to make sure that what the enemy is trying to do doesn't spread, folks, into other areas of our life or onto those who are close to us in proximity. We don't want the enemy's fire spreading all over our lives. So so let me talk about that, the, the word faith right now, since we're talking about the shield of faith. Do, do, do you want to know an easy way to remember what, what, what faith is in a simple yet profound way? Okay, so here's a quick pastoral acronym that I've put together to help you remember what faith is. Okay, here it is. Faith is forgetting all, I trust him. You tracking? Forgetting all, I simply I simply trust him. Does, does that make sense? It, it means that I, I need to forget the past. I need to forget my feelings. I need to trust God above it all. Now, now does our past ever get in the way of us trusting God? 100%. It does, right? What, what about our sin and our shame? How about your feelings? Can, can feelings get in the way? Like, of course they can, right? Sometimes we don't feel like we're saved. Sometimes we don't feel like trusting God. Sometimes we don't feel like obeying. Sometimes we don't feel that we're good enough or inherently valuable. Sometimes we don't feel like doing what we're supposed to do in our marriage or in our 
parenting. So, so yes, our feelings can get in the way. So, so in those times, we need to forget all and trust God. Like, can't you see? Okay, okay, okay. I'm doing it again. I'm getting ahead of myself. And it is so weighty. It's so good. It's so valuable. Our God is so good. Let's see if we can pick it up a little bit, though, and work through verses 17 through through 20 now. Okay, so here's here's what the word of the Lord is saying. Okay, so so in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Okay, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Okay, so, so we have this helmet of salvation coming right here in verse 17, right? And, and, and here Paul is telling us to guard our minds, to literally guard our thoughts regarding the beautiful truth of God's love for us and the plans and the purposes he's established because of his son. This, this helmet guards us from overthinking and allowing our thoughts to overtake us and overwhelm us. Oh, I can't wait to fillet that open. And then we have the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Are you kidding me? The sword is a soldier's weapon, right? Okay, so our weapon against the enemy is the Word. The precious Word of God. Oh, I can't wait to talk about the Word of God some more next week. Okay, but here's the real sweet spot of this portion of the text. Paul not only instructs us to offer prayers and supplication by the power of the Holy Spirit for all believers in the world, folks, he asks us to pray and offer supplication for himself too. Hey, but does Paul ask for prayer so he can have a, a better bed in prison? Nope. Does he ask for more prayers so he could be released from his situation? Nope. Does, does he ask for prayer so he could have more favor with Caesar? Nope. Paul does not. None of these things. He calls the saints in Ephesus to enter into the Christian war and to take up their armor to fight against these four categories of demonic enemies. And then, check this out, and then Paul asked them to pray for him so that he might even more open his mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel more. Are you kidding me? Paul, folks, was under light chain house arrest for a crime he didn't commit. You remember Ephesians chapter 1. But his joy in the Lord was so stable and so secure, so steady and valuable that he prays with greater strength to fight in this Christian war right from the shackles and the chains of prison. And he's doing it all for the glory of God. Folks, in other words, as Paul was exhorting the people in Ephesus and therefore exhorting us today, he was leading by example to demonstrate what a Christian soldier looks like. And that's a spiritual individual that does not run away from the battle. But folks, it's about spirit-filled individuals that are soldiers that lean in to the Christian war. Oh, that is so, so very important. Okay. Hey, look at me. Look at me. 
Paul is under distress in jail. He, he's sitting around and he's, and he's saying to himself, how can I make much of Jesus from this place? How can I put on my shoes of, of gospel peace and stay in the fight and stay ready to fight? And so, so he decides while he's sitting under light chain house arrest that he's going to use his efforts. He's going to redeem the time. He's going to put the value back. He's going to redeem the era, remember that, and the season that he's living in under light chain house arrest by writing these letters, these letters, folks, to these churches. They became part of our text in the Bible. And so he writes to the church of Ephesus, and he writes to the church in Colossae, and he writes to Philemon, and then he writes to the church in Philippi. And, and if you don't know, all these letters that we are reading are called the prison letters of Paul. Like, that's mind-blowing. Oh, man, this weighty, beautiful, redemptive letter that we're reading in the book of Ephesians that we've been marching through for over a year and a half is just just one of many letters that he wrote while under persecution, under light chain house arrest, but he was focused radically on redeeming, redeeming the time. And, and that's awesome. And if you don't know, Paul would eventually be released from light chain house arrest at this time that he wrote the book of Ephesians. And he would go on to establish, get check this out, approximately 20 more churches like Ephesus, like the church in Colossae, and he filled them up with spirit-filled elders and spirit-filled pastors who had to learn how to lead God's church. And I, just, I just want you to know that Paul planted way more churches than we know about or that we have historical records for. These just happen to be some of the specific letters that we know about because God anointed them and inspired them to be our holy scripture. Okay, so, okay, so then after that, after he goes and he, he plants 20 more churches, this is going to be so important. He's brought in again by Caesar under light chain house arrest. And, and Caesar's like, no, no more with this guy, this guy Paul. This guy won't stop. This soldier will not quit. His, his belt, this is, what, this is what Caesar was saying, his belt of truth is so stable. His breastplate of righteousness is so secure. His shoes of gospel peace, right, are so powerful. And his shield of faith is so incorruptible. We cannot get past his helmet of salvation. He wields a mighty sword of God's word. We gotta, we gotta kill this guy. Folks, that's where Caesar landed. Hey, forget this light chain house arrest stuff. We gotta, we gotta kill this guy. And so if you don't know, Paul was killed because Caesar literally takes his head off. He, he chops his head off because there was no other way, folks, to stop this spirit-filled soldier who was a victorious champion and believer for the kingdom of God. So despite all four categories that we kind of looked at briefly about de demonic enemies and uh, that were against Paul who were masquerading as flesh and blood enemies, Paul was unstoppable in Christ in his movements in this battle of the Christian war. So, so Paul has some credibility when he says for us to be strong in the Lord, right? Yes, he does. He has authority not only given to him by the God of the universe as if that's not enough, but by the testimony, folks, the testimony of his life. Jesus bled out for Paul, and Paul, in response, bled out for Jesus. Oh, that's weighty. I'm going to say it again. Jesus bled out for Paul, and in response, out of Paul's love, Paul bled out 
for Jesus. That's what Jesus meant when he said, and this is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. It's on your screen. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That cross is a serious symbol. It's a symbol of persecution. It's a death sentence. He said, pick up that and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake man, we'll, we'll find it. So, so that's what Paul does, folks. He, he gives up his life. He picks up his, his cross, and he leans in to the Christian war. But, but how many times are we going to read this passage out of Matthew and empty it out of its weight and its seriousness and put a Disney Channel version on it? we got to stop doing that. How many times are we going to look at that verse and put a cute little bow tie on it and walk away, folks, utterly, unchanged. Because what's crazy is most of us struggle to follow Paul as he follows Christ to the point of death, even the most simplest of things, don't we? When when Paul and Jesus are out here getting whipped and dishonored and ridiculed and tortured because of the gospel to the point of death, we're struggling with our preferences for worship styles, folks, or because we don't get enough attention from our pastors, or we're out here struggling because our church is asking us to do too many things. Heaven forbid they ask me to do more than one thing on the weekend because it annoys us. Or we're struggling because we don't get what we want in our marriages. And so we pout. Or we're mad because our kids aren't listening and they're so disobedient and, and that. And we freak out. And so we can't follow Jesus anymore. And we lose our character and we stop loving and we stop and we start demanding our own way. And we whine, 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 whine. Or we're struggling because we don't have enough money and we need more. I need more money. Or we're not living in the dream house that we want. We struggle, folks, because we get stuck in our heads about trying to be socially correct when we present the gospel. No, no, not because we're going to a Roman soldier, and if we don't present the gospel the right way, we might lose our life. No, not because we're going to modern-day China right now, where we could be literally in prison if we do the wrong thing in our presentation of the gospel. No, we here, modern-day Christians in America, we get stuck in our heads at our secular workplace or in our friendship circles about sharing the gospel because we don't want to be socially awkward. Like, are you kidding me? Folks, where, where have we gotten off track? We have Paul sitting here right in the text following Jesus to death, following Jesus to the point of death, picking up his cross, and he's calling you and he's calling me into a very serious, real Christian war. But folks, how can we answer this call from God? How can we truly do our part in this war if we're living for so many earthly things and earthly realities and we make so many unbiblical rules and wants and desires primary in our life? Like, do you recognize that fiery darts are coming at you? They're coming at you from Satan. And he's aiming to take you out. Folks, we're supposed to be preparing for a kingdom that's coming. We're not supposed to be making this home our ultimate and permanent 
kingdom. Our kingdom can't be our present day families here on earth. You tracking? Our, 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 our kingdom can't be our financial endeavors here on earth. Uh, uh, pay attention. We're supposed to, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow Paul as he followed Christ by picking up our cross and sacrificing radically our lives here for a kingdom that's that's coming it's present but it's coming and we got to walk in that and we got to step into the christian war so therefore who are we it's it's on your screen we are a people called to enter the Christian war by picking up our crosses. That means trials and tribulations, folks, your desires, your wants, you're being ridiculed and persecuted. And we're to follow Jesus in radical obedience to God. We are to be armored up and victorious Christians that stand firm in our, in our faith. Man, that's, that's so important. Now, do you know what the second greatest lie um, ever told by Satan? Do you know what that is? The second greatest lie that Satan ever told was that he doesn't exist, that he's not real. Like, seriously, it's second place, only behind the first lie he did to Eve in the book of, in the book of Genesis. But the, the second greatest lie that Satan ever told is that he does not exist and that he's not, not real. And, and because of that, ready? Track with me, track with me. You got, you got husbands and wives fighting. You got parents and, and children fighting. You got employers and employees fighting. You got neighbors fighting each other in communities. You got blacks and, and whites fighting in that war. You got Republicans fighting against Democrats. You got Christians fighting against Muslims. And we're all fighting each other, believing that we are each other's arch enemy and that we are each other's main problem. But folks, we're, we're not. Okay, okay. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Folks, when we fight each other like this, Satan sits back and he basks in all his glory, totally protected and totally sheltered from the whole war as we implode and explode on one another instead of fighting our real enemy. And it's him. His name is Satan. And, and so in here, in, in chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul wants you and me to know that we are to be strong in the Lord and to put on our whole armor of God. Put it on. He says put it on so that everything we need to not only endure and last, right, as Christians, but that we would have proper perspective, folks. It's not just about standing. It's not just about being victorious. Folks, it's about having proper perspective, Christ-centered headlights on so you can see what's happening right in front of your face in this world. So, so it's all about us learning how to stop turning our swords on each other all the time with our backs exposed to the enemy who has free reign to shoot these darts back in the back of our neck. And we're not, we're not guarded. It's about us coming together and covering each other's back and covering each other's neck and aiming our swords and our voices at our real proper enemy as we cry out, victory is the Lord's. Are you tracking with me? It's about us charging straight at Satan, at our real enemy who no longer gets to sit back with his invisible cloak hiding from everyone. And we call him out, folks, for who he is. 
So I want you to know with radical clarity that you have an enemy and you have an adversary that, and he has it out for you and he's a bad dude and he literally wants to take you out. But our God, he reigns supreme above it all and he is ready to deliver us and to rescue us and to set us up to be great soldiers and to be great citizens and employees and fathers and mothers in every single role that we have in, in Christ. Okay, so, so let's pray as we take our first step today in learning how to be ready for, for this battle of the ages, this, this, this Christian war, with God's power and the strength that he has and his might. Let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Abba, Father, you have given us armor and strength and a firm, firm foundation. Thank you for that. So, so today as we study your word so we can better know and ultimately fight our enemy because, because he's listed and he's exposed in this text. Thank you for that, Jesus. But, but we're also here to study and to know more about this armor and this weaponry that you've given us, Lord, because, because that's listed too. Thank you for leaving us such great instructions and, and marching orders, Lord. And so, Lord, I thank you for the growing obedience that I see amongst your people. But, but truly, Holy Spirit, deepen our obedience all the more. Grow us and protect us and mature us and equip us for all that we need. It's because of your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Folks, we need to understand that we are in battle. We are in battle and we need to be on the right side of this battle. But the worst thing that can possibly happen is for you to not even know, folks, is for you to not know that you're in a war at all. You see, so many people don't understand why there is so much tension and friction and strife within their marriage or, or why they're struggling so much with their children as they, as they parent them or why their community looks like it's, it's going crazy and why the whole world looks like it's going bonkers, right? We, we get confused. So we try all these uh, avenues and, and systems and we put money and we create all these categories trying to solve a problem and the world doesn't, doesn't get it. But listen, when we act like that, when we are utterly clueless, Satan joyfully fades back into the distance and he smiles as we self-destruct and we implode on one another. But what God wants you and me to know right here in the text is that we don't have to live like this anymore. Are you tracking? Instead, we can stand in the Lord. We can armor up. Tracking? Building harmony amongst one another, not division. And we can walk together towards a new destiny that isn't filled with strife and, and pain and shame and, and sin, folks. That's, that's his promise to me and you. And, and here's, what's, here's what's so awesome. God's truth doesn't change. Never does. There's no truth 2.0. And praise Christ for that. Truth is, is, is timeless. Truth is redemptive. And God has established it. And it is his word. It's his word. And, and our God is searching to and fro. You remember that earlier in the Ephesians series from 2 Chronicles? Our God is searching to and fro for sons and daughters that will stand up and say, yep, that's the truth. That's what God's word says. And I'm putting my life on it. And I'm staking 
my name on it. And folks, when you and me, when we do that, God will use you and your firm stance about what you believe about issues in the world or about relationships or about the things you go through. And when you, and when the world sees that you stake your opinions and your beliefs and your activities based upon that truth, God's word says that you become a witness to the whole world. And, and, and don't worry, we don't have to go around as Christians trying to, trying to fix everything. That's not, that's not what God calls us to do. We don't have to go around trying to legislate everything. Instead, God is just simply asking you and me to stand firm in our righteousness, to stand firm in our faith and to not waver. That's, folks, that's our part. He's the world redeemer. We are standing in trustworthy believers. I'm going to say that again. God is the world redeemer. He's going to do that. He's going to do that work. But we are called to stand and to be mature and victorious believers. But, but, but it's amazing how many of us in our lives, as we walk out as Christians, we, we act like there's no war going on at all between heaven and hell. We just, we just wake up into our normalcy and we pretend like nothing else exists but our earthly problems and our earthly realities and our earthly plans. But we can't keep doing that anymore. As you mature in Christ, and hopefully you are over this march we've had for a year and a half, as you keep deepening, Paul's saying, hey, you got to mature. you got to get off milk, and you got to get on solid food. So, so it's time for you and me to recognize that we are in the Christian war, and we got to put our armor on, folks, radically. We, we can't keep pretending like nothing else exists. Folks, we have to be willing to pick up our cross. But what I what I love most about the consistency, right, and the bigness of God in relation to us is how he inspires Paul to continue the anthem that he started from, from chapters one all the way now into chapter six of Ephesians, and he keeps lifting up that he does the work. God does the work. Because before Paul goes into this long description of our armor for the battle, he tells us how to be strong, and how to engage and to prepare to use this armor. You see, although the armor of God will protect us, and it will, although the armor of God will protect us, it is not the centrality of our strength. Instead, it's the defense that covers our actual strength. I'm going to say that again. That's, 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 that's deep. Although the armor of God will protect us, it is not the centrality of our strength, but rather it is the defense that covers our actual our actual strength. Like, could you imagine having the best armor in the whole world, but being incredibly weak in your physical body? Like, how mighty would a soldier be if he had the best armor in the world, but he was filled with multiple diseases, he was malnourished, 20 pounds underweight, and he had no water at all to drink for a week? Like, all of a sudden, all his heavy armor doesn't mean much at all. In fact, it could be detrimental if he can't even hold up his own body because he's so weak. Are you, are you track with me? And how many of you know that armor can be really heavy, right? Armor, soldier's armor is really heavy. It, it just is. Therefore, you need a certain amount of internal strength. That's why they, they, they train before they went to battle in these times. They need a certain amount of strength to even properly put on the armor so they can use it effectively. Because the armor would be, like I said, detrimental to them. And that's why Paul tells us right here in the text in verse 10 that we have to be strong in the Lord by the strength of of his might, 
not our own. Folks, he's establishing that the strength is primary. Having strength first is, is primary. Then you and I can go, can go get armored up for the war. And in a day and in an age where Christians don't seem to be strong anymore, and Jesus, I'm sorry, we're just, we're just not. This is a timely word and encouragement and exhortation for us to return to that strength. Are you tracking? We got to return to that strength. We have to stop giving up and taking flight and running away all the time from our problems and our circumstances and our hardships and our and our pain. And we got to lean into those realities for the sake of the gospel and for God's glory and for the benefit of his people and for ultimately our own satisfaction and being obedient to him. Folks, we have to start to become mighty defenders of our faith. Hey, we have to stop falling into sin so easily all the time, like we're, like we're living directly in the world. Like, how on earth are we supposed to be a light in a vast amount of darkness out here to our world if our own internal strength and our defensive strategies and, 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 um, and armor are as weak as an unbeliever, like who's de completely devoid of God's strength? They possess none of his power. They have no heavenly armor at all. We can't look like them anymore. So, so let me ask you a direct question. And all I'm asking you to do when I ask you this question is to be radically honest from your heart. Like, it's, it's a very important question, folks. So when I instruct you and I give you this question, I want you to write your answer down. And I don't want you to overthink it. I just want you to be honest. But please, please don't write your answer down until I give you, until I give you that opportunity, okay? So, so here we go. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you that question now, and, and here it is on your screen. Are you personally a strong Christian? Would you say that you are truthfully strong in the Lord? Okay, okay, don't answer it yet. Don't, don't answer it yet. Now, what I want, you, I want you to start thinking right now about some strong Christians that you believe are strong Christians within your lives, okay? Some Christians that are truly battle-tested. You know what I'm talking about. Some Christ-centered, battle-tested Christians that inspire you. Like, like um, they don't just talk the talk. You've watched them walk the walk. So maybe it's a grandma that you have in your life, or it's an uncle, or it's a mentor, or it's a parent, or it's a best friend, or it's a, it's a pastor. Um, so get a couple of them in your mind. Are you starting to develop some images of these people in your life that you would consider a strong Christian? They, they walk the walk. They don't just talk the talk. They're, they're battle-tested. You've seen them in, in the muck of the mire, and you watch them stand and, and act victorious. You got them in your mind? Okay. All right. So, 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 so now I want you to answer that question. Are you strong in the Lord? Go ahead and write your answer down real quick. Take, take a moment to do that. Take a moment to do that now. Okay, it's just, it's just yes or no. Yes, I am, or no, I'm not. It takes about two seconds. Okay, you wrote it down. Okay, okay, listen. Hey, eyes up here. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Now, now let me show you a deep, deep problem that many of us have within our hearts. You see, most of you, when I pose that question, are you strong Christians? Are you standing? Are you strong in the Lord? You started immediately answering the question based upon how well you are doing 
personally, pay attention, most of you started answering the question, saying to yourself, that's what you were saying in your head, well, well, I don't read the Bible as much as I'm supposed to, and, and, and most of you were thinking like, well, well, I love Jesus, but I'm trying to work, I, I know I, I cuss too much, or I'm dealing with the same sin problem that I had last week, and me and my wife are still arguing, you see, so, so most of us, we started going through our own little list of stuff that we're doing well, or, or that we're not doing well, but, but did you know that when Paul tells us to be strong, the first thing he says is, is that in order to be strong in the Lord, it has to come by the power of his might. And then we take up the armor. You see, folks, it's all about God. It's always God because you and I are guaranteed to be messy soldiers. Folks, that's just what it is. We're going to be messy soldiers in this Christian War. You see, when Jesus began to build his church, when he implemented his church in Matthew chapter 16, he asked Peter a few things. He was asking actually all his disciples a few questions. So we're going to take a look at that. We're going to see how they answered it. And we're going to see how, how Peter leaned in to answer it. It's going to be so important to where we're going. It's, it's, it's on your screen. Here we go. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, abbreviated. Here we go. Now, Jesus came and asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And, and they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He, so, so he said to them, but, but who do you say that I am? Now watch Peter's response. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered Peter and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, no longer Simon, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, I will give you, watch this, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed, loosed in heaven. Now, now, do you see what it says in verse 17? It, it, it wasn't by Peter's strength that he understood this, but it was by the strength of the Lord. And, and Jesus was impressed with Peter's answer and literally gives him the keys to the eternal penthouse in the kingdom of heaven. Like, like that's legit, right? But listen closely. Even in that moment, hey, hey, lean in, pay attention. Even in that moment, Jesus still knew that Peter would blow it and that he would be a messy, messy soldier. Jesus knew that Peter, even after this great victory, would still be a messy believer and would have failure in his life. And, and here's what happens. Soon after this moment, Peter literally ran the whole thing into a ditch. I just want you to note that because just a few verses later, right after Jesus just handed Peter the keys, he got a new name. He got keys, right, to the kingdom. Jesus would have to rebuke him. Jeez, folks, this is what we walk like, okay? So then he had to rebuke him right after. Let's look at that now in verses 22 through 23 in that same chapter. It's on your screen. And Peter took him aside, right? They had a conversation about this whole death and eternity and what's going to happen. Okay, so Peter takes him to the side and begins to rebuke Jesus. Are you kidding me? And he says to Jesus, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But, but then Jesus turns back to Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind. Here, focus right here. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things 
on the things of man. Oh, man. So, so Peter went from having a, a kingdom mind and being rewarded with, with keys to the kingdom to f- falling back into his old man, into his earthly mind, to the point where he was literally arguing and arrogantly trying to rebuke his own leader, his authority figure, and the God of the universe in Jesus. Like, do you see the tension, folks? When we keep our mind on Christ, we become strong. We get keys and access to kingdom power. We're strong, right? But as soon as we take our eyes off of Christ and his word, we become argumentative, uh, arrogant, lost children filled with darkness, right? And Jesus equates us when we act like that to being like Satan. Now, now that's, that's weighty. Okay, so let me ask you again. I'm going to ask you again. It's, it's on your screen. Are you personally a strong Christian? Would you say that you are truthfully, right now, where you're at in your life, where you're at, no, n- nobody else, where you're at, are you truthfully strong in the Lord? Go, go, write your answer down immediately. Just be honest. Don't try to be tough. Write it down. Okay, okay. So did you know that, that our strength is not in our abilities, but rather it comes from our foundation in the Lord? I'm saying it again. Our strength is not found in our abilities, but rather it is in our, our foundation in the Lord. Your strength, my strength, your ability, my ability to repent and to get up daily, even after we fall, is founded upon a kingdom foundation, not your personal abilities, not my personal abilities. The Bible says in Romans 6 that every, that every single place that sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, praise Christ. Because God is infinitely bigger, folks, than our mess. So, so if God can hand the keys to the kingdom and build his church upon the rock who is Peter and establish the whole global church through him, who is such a sinner, he can most definitely use you and he can use me to lead our families and our communities and our local churches. Okay, so so let me show you something that you may not have seen in this passage from Matthew 16, because um, there's a beautiful promise in there. I want you to I want you to see it radically. So I'm going to put it back on the screen for you right here. Here here's verse 17. Just in case you didn't see this, wait. And Jesus answered him, "Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh." And blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in, I'm sorry, for my Father who is in heaven. Now here we go. And I tell you, you are Peter, no longer Simon, and on this rock I will build my church. Do you see where it's coming in red? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, now, oh man, that's waiting. Now, now, when Jesus says the gates will not prevail, I want you to first know contextually that prevailing means to take over. Okay, that's what it means. Prevail to prevail over something is to take over. Okay, so, so, so here, have you ever seen a gate prevail or take over anything? Like, no way, right? Like, gates don't prevail. They're, they're, they don't attack. Gates are, gates are passive. They're fences. They're, they're gates. So Jesus is saying the, the passive gates of Satan will not prevail against the active foundation that I have built my church upon. Praise, praise God. That as messy as the church can be, that's what Jesus is saying, as messy as the church can be, it's going to be unstoppable, radically unstoppable compared to the itsy bitsy passive enemy of Satan who will not 
he will not prevail. Oh man, that's legit. That was God's promise to Peter that even when he messes up, even when he gets stuck in the muck and the mire, grace is going to abound all the more and the gates of hell will not prevail against him because he has kingdom power in the Lord. In other words, folks, God rules and Satan drools. Are you tracking with me? So when Jesus says the gates won't prevail, his point is that when the church is established and they're spirit-filled and they're maturing and deepening out and they're standing in the Lord, the gates simply can't keep the light from penetrating and robbing souls and snatching souls right out of hell. Praise God. Oh, man, when the truth shines, its impact is felt and seen and known by the whole world. Just, just consider how you became born again, right? When you tapped out and you looked up and you linked in, the, the truth penetrated your mind beyond where you once lacked, lacked clarity, right? And, and it penetrated your eyes beyond where you once where you once were blind and it penetrated your heart where you once were callous. And because of all of that, you were set free. Man, me and you, we were set free in Jesus. And that's what the church is, folks. That's, that's, that's you and, and that's me. And, and that's the war that's going on. And I'm trying to ask you this morning, I'm trying to ask you if you're strong. Are you strong in the Lord? That's what I'm asking you because the church has been equipped to be on the move for Jesus and to be strong in the Lord and to be defenders of the faith. Therefore, let's focus the rest of this sermon on the deep dive now on just verses 10 and 11. We're about to camp out on verses 10 and 11, just like we did. What a beautiful way to start ending our series. We camped out in verse 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 1. Let's camp out right here on verses 10 and 11, because that's all we're going to be able to handle. But it's going to be so important that we get this firm foundation landed deep within our hearts. So let's put verse 10 up and let's let's do this deep dive. Here's the word of the Lord. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. This is, this is Paul. Finally. Oh, I like that. I like what he says. It finally, therefore, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Okay, so I, I want to break this down so you and, and me, we can really understand this. And so let's talk about the supremacy of God for a moment. Let's talk about the supremacy of God. So, so if you're in the Lord, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that there is therefore no condem, condem, um, condemnation at all that is formed against you. And that's because you are in the Lord. You are so secure, so strong, and you're so stable, and you are ultimately saved saved in Christ. And then it goes on in Romans chapter 8 uh, a little bit later, um, and it says that if you are in the Lord, not only are you saved from condemnation, but you are, in, but you are radically guaranteed that all things are going to work together for good. Oh, what a radical promise. See, so somehow and in some way in God's recipe of life, things are going to work out for you and me. Wow, like things are going to work out for, for God's good and to our ultimate benefit, even if we don't see the full harvest of that benefit until we get to heaven. What a, what a promise. Now, now, God says that every Christian is guaranteed to be conformed, right? So when you, a born-again Christian is guaranteed to be conformed into the image of his likeness. And, and it also says in Romans 8 that there is nothing formed against you and me that can separate us from his presence. 
This is way all oh, Romans. We can't even get that. That's serious. Paul says this in Romans eight, inspired by God. Right? You ready for this? We'll say it when we tap out. We link in. We look up, and we got the armor and the strength. He says, "Hey, not nor, not death nor life, nor big things or small things, nor height nor depths, nor rulers or principalities. Nothing you can imagine. Absolutely nothing can separate you from the presence of God." So, so can't you see? Your strength comes from being in the Lord. Now, now, if you really believe this, I, I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. If you've blown it just last night, or or you really had a you or you have a tough week ahead and you know it, if you're you're overwhelmed, but you know that your strength comes from the Lord, it's in that moment that you can begin to smile inwardly, saying to yourself, "I got this, I got this, and I'm and I'm so good, I'm I'm good." And you're not saying that because of yourself, right? It's because you start to recognize and say, "I'm good," despite myself. I'm good despite myself. You don't say, oh, I'm going to be good just, just after I deal with my, this big sin problem. Or, or you don't say, I'm, I'm going to be good just as, just as soon as I, I fix this marriage problem I have. You, you don't say, I'm going to be good just as soon as I reconcile with, with my children. You, you say, you're good, radically good, despite yourself, despite your trials and tribulations, because your strength is in the Lord. And when you do that, and when I do that, when we display that kind of strength that comes from the Lord, and we and we count it as God's strength, right? And then it becomes our own. It becomes our strength in God as, as greater than our circumstances. When we believe that God's strength is great and God's power and God's promises are more valuable and they mean more to us than our circumstances, when you just stand in the Lord, Three things occur, folks. Three things occur. Here's, here's one of them. You please God the Father when you display godly strength. Folks, God is simply happy with you and me when we display godly strength, particularly in times of difficulty. And, and whether you realize it or not, we all just want to make God happy. We, 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 we all do. And God says, great, I'm glad you want to make me happy. Therefore, just stand in me. That's all I want you to do. I want your strength and your comfort to be founded in me. Make much of me by standing firm in my strength and flexing confidently back at your trials as you enter into the Christian war. Now, now here's the second thing that happens when you display this kind of godly strength. Okay, here we go. You witness to the people around you when you display godly strength. Like, 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 did you know that when you confidently stand in God, when you truly know that you are good, even though things are out of control in your life or, or you're in debt or, 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 or something's been wrecked in your life and you're overwhelmed about that, when your anthem is that you are genuinely good in the Lord, not, not, not just by saying the words from, a, from an empty place that, that, that's not genuine, but when you are saying that you are good and it's coming from the depths of your heart, when you believe and you can proclaim that you are genuinely good in that way that is palpable for people to experience and see that you really are good. When you live and operate like that, Scripture says that God stops all of heaven and calls out the cloud of witnesses all around, and together they all say, look at that right there. Look at God's child standing firm in the faith. And they all start worshiping and singing hallelujah for the power of God. And God is happy and he shows you off to the whole world as a vessel 
of his glory. And check this out. When you really find your stride as a victorious Christian and you're standing firm in the faith from a genuine place, you become a pearl to the whole world and you attract people all around you. People, people start, folks, people start talking about you and they say, man, this brother is so content in circumstances. I don't know how I would ever be like he's acting in this, in this moment. And, and the people are saying, how incredibly loving and patient is this, this woman right here in situations that I never, ever would be able to do? What is it about her? And then people start saying, hey, hey, what is it about this family's heart of mercy to these disgusting people? I would never let them in my house. But, but not only that, not only do you start to attract the world as you become a pearl to them this this third thing happens and this is this is legit are you ready for number three here we go you royally tick off the devil real bad when you display godly strength okay so so your your strength doesn't come from batting a thousand all the time and and never failing and and never messing up or or anything like that folks your strength comes from simply standing in the lord and when you and when you do that you tick off the devil radically because you're encouraging people and you're glorifying God and you are having confidence that he's that he's pleased with you despite despite the times that you fall that you fall short so so there was this pastor this is, this is a true story there was this pastor uh, this is the, 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 the there's 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 difficulty of being in ministry for 15 years for sure but there's blessings and stories and redemptive moments so so there was this pastor from a previous church that I was in in fellowship with and he was visiting a member of his church he happened to be good friends with them and and unfortunately this member had uh, went too far in some categories and had found himself in prison and, and and that pastor was really close friends to this member um, they'd been friends for about six or seven years and and so this member and this pastor's friend was a deacon of his church and they even coached little league soccer together and, they, and with their daughters who played on the same team so this guys I want you to know that he was a believer and I want you to know RCC that this guy that went to prison he he was most definitely one one of us. And so, so the pastor visits his friend in jail. And, and as soon as his friend saw him coming up to the glass, he began weeping and he's crying and his tears are coming down. He says, brother, I'm so sorry I failed. I've embarrassed you. I embarrassed God. I embarrassed my church. And I'm so, I'm so sorry. And what the pastor said next, what the pastor said next to, hit, to this father, this husband, this spirit-filled Christian, his friend has stayed with me, folks. For several, several years. Okay, so, so the pastor said, I don't know what's going to happen to you, brother, but I'm going to advocate for you with all my heart tomorrow in court, and I'm going to do all that I can to express that what you did is not who you are. You did the wrong thing. You went too far. But what you did is not who you are. In our church community, we're confident about that, and I'm telling you as your friend and as your pastor, I'm confident about that. And then the pastor said, but, but even if the worst case scenario happens and you are, and you're going to be in this place for a seven painful years away from your church and your wife and your three beautiful children, if the worst thing happens, brother, I want you to know you are still left 
standing and winning in the Lord. And that's because you are repentant, my brother. And you, and you didn't run away from your problem or your sin. You're, you're owning them. You're, you're totally forgiven. And you are still standing victorious in Christ. And, and, and then the pastor went on. He said, God is completely colorblind to you, brother. He doesn't see you wearing an orange suit and me wearing jeans and a polo. He doesn't see a difference in us in that way. He sees you and he sees me standing in the Lord, confident in the circumstances that we're in, ready to do the will of God where we're at. That's all. And then, he, and then, and then the pastor went on and he told his friend, so if you would just stand in the Lord while you're in here, brother, even if the worst thing happens and you're here for seven years, you got to just, if you stand in the Lord, if you do that, you're going to encourage people in heaven. The cloud of witnesses are going to open up with God and they're going to say just to you, like anybody else, look at him. Look at what he's doing. And they're going to sing hallelujah. If you stand in the Lord, for these seven years. Hey, this was what you're going to impact other prisoners and guards in the community room, and you're going to be a crazy cool, amazing light to them. And, and then the pastor said, the worst case scenario is that you're going to tick the devil off as you use your bad for God's good. The worst that's going to happen is that you use this bad and you turn it for God's good. And, and you're still going to go to heaven when you die, and you're going to link up with all of your Christian family, and you're going to be with Christ forever. And then the pastor leaned in, and he said, but until then, you are a disciple of Christ, battling in the Christian, he didn't say Christian war, that's my turn, battling in the Christian war, and it doesn't matter where you're at. This war is everywhere. That we go. And RCC, guess what? God is sending people. I just want you to know this. God is sending people to Haiti next week. Oh, you better believe he is. And God is sending people to Oakland, California next week. Yep, he is. And God is sending people to Pittsburgh. Yes, he is. And God is going to be sending people to New Zealand next week. And God is going to be sending people to Australia next week. God's going to be sending people to Beaverton next week. And apparently, God is going to be sending and sometimes using people in jail as well. If you don't believe me, just ask Paul, who was under light chain house arrest and so okay back to the story and so and so uh the pastor told his friend i don't care where you're at right now be strong in the lord and and the pastor told me um that his friend kind of responded after that exhortation and said and started smiling and said pastor my brother i haven't smiled i haven't smiled in months. Oh, but family and friends, that's what happens when we tap in or we link in to our power. We get to be strong in the Lord. I don't care what circumstance you're in. Even when we fall short and we get tripped up and trapped up and we completely blow it, if we stand firm in the Lord and we know that our strength comes from him, we can smile again, folks. We can smile again. Praise God. And we can find peace in in jesus so our strength is not found in the perfection of our walk our strength is found in our response to a, a culture gone crazy and our ever apparent weakness that's ravaging our bodies and 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 our strength is found despite the enemy who's shooting fiery darts at us all the time and our strength is found when we resolve to stand anyway that's when, so, so that's when we're strong. So I'm just going to ask you again. Here we go. It's as long as you're again. This is the third time I'm going to ask you. Are you, nobody else, are you personally 
a strong Christian. Would you say you are truthfully strong in the Lord? Write it down. And, and this is where I'm at. I'm hoping that your head and, and your heart are, are starting to develop a new answer. And I hope your answer is coming. Yes, I am. Pastor Brandon, yes, I'm strong in the Lord. I hope that's starting to form inside of you. So, so, so are we to be strong in the Lord and we're to be strong by the power of his might? This is the, this is the promise that Paul is trying to get us to step into and to tap and to link into. And, and that word might, folks, is a very interesting and powerful word choice that that the apostle paul is is using and so um, if you don't know the word might means reserved power you just got to know that might means reserved power okay so so when you go to the gym and you see that really buff guy and he's kind of sitting there and he's all flexed out and he's sweating and he's real big and you see the veins popping out of his arms and you say to yourself man that guy has a lot of might that guy is powerful what you're what you're really saying is that this guy has a lot of reserved power that's ready to go maybe he's going to use it to lift some more weights or he's going to go run or he's going to play basketball or be a football player but you could tell by looking at his power this looking at his body he has power ready ready to go so so did you know that our god is both strong and he's mighty like did you know that our god has reserved power ready to go at a moment's notice whenever he decides to use it. Like, do, do you know how much might the God of the universe carries? Like an infinite amount, right? Okay, okay, so scripture says, I get this, we get to stand in the Lord by the, with knowing that behind us and for us and in us is the God of the universe with the potential reserved cosmic creative power of his might ready to go at a moment's notice on our behalf. Like, good night. Are you kidding me? Has, has anybody seen the Justice League or, or perhaps the Avengers? Like, imagine those scenes where you have Thor, who's, who's considered the god of, 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 of thunder and lightning, and he activates the thunder and the lightning and all this power and might that you see that he's carrying in his eyes and everything else and or or perhaps superman when he breaks the sound barrier and he zooms in and he does all of these all these things and you see this this might that superman is carrying okay now imagine our god on high is one trillion 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 times more mighty than both thor and superman combined twice over like folks that's a whole lot a whole lot of might right okay now 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 i want you to imagine that our God, our God on high is standing with you and he's standing with me and he's for us and he's living in us. Remember last week, the Adams, he, he, he condenses himself as small as he needs to be, but he doesn't lose any cosmic power and, and he has, and he's ready to activate this avenging, heroic, justice bearing power, ready to be unleashed on the forces of darkness and the enemy on our behalf in a moment's in a moment's notice. Oh man, that is ridiculously awesome and incredible, right? So so my brothers and sisters, I'm just gonna I just wanna I'm just gonna say it right now, are you strong in the Lord? And if I just want you to believe that and say, yes, yes, I am. Say it out loud with your whole family. Yes, I am strong in the Lord. You are, I am, we all are. We are most definitely strong Christians in the Lord. So, so God doesn't look at the jail cell any different than he looks at the walls around Walmart. They're, they're both buildings, right? Filled with both 
unbelievers and believers. And in both scenarios, God wants to use his peoples as as ambassadors of his kingdom to shed light in a vast amount of darkness. And folks, there's a vast amount of darkness in the jail cell, but there's a vast amount of darkness in Walmart and at our homes and in our communities, right? There's darkness everywhere. God wants you to know that he can use you wherever you're at and in every circumstances. Stop believing the lie. The enemy says that you can't do it anymore because you're too messy. That is not the truth. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, you can be a strong, victorious Christian right in that circumstance, despite your messiness. Okay, okay, so, so who are we? It's, it's on your screen. We are people called to stand in the radical belief that we are strong in the Lord, despite our weaknesses and trials. We are to recognize that our strength comes from the causic power of God. Oh man, with endless potential to be activated at a moment's notice upon his desire. We, tr- we are to live confidently, so confidently knowing that God can use us wherever we're at. It doesn't matter what what happened last week. It doesn't matter what happened three weeks ago. That is Satan's game, folks. He whispers and reminds you of your failures, and he tells you you're not good enough. He tells you to tap, to to just to quit, to run, to flee, and you got to stand in the Lord. So, So no matter where you're at or within every circumstances, if you and me make ourselves available as ambassadors of his kingdom, we, we can activate that, that strength in the Lord. Oh, oh, okay, okay, so, so, so might is reserved power, and power is, is the exercise of that might. Now, I need you to get this. This is, this is deep. I want you to get, I want you to get the Bible, okay? Okay, so, so, so might is reserved power. And, and power is the exercise of, of that might. So, so Paul says, y- yes, he tells us, put on the armor, but he doesn't start with the armor. He starts with God as our power source. Are you tracking? Okay, so now let's move on to, to verse 11, holding that intention as we keep marching. And in, in here we go. So here we go. Okay, this is verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. That's, that's going to be very important. Now, did you know that the devil is incredibly and ridiculously gifted at what he does? I just want you to know that. On his business card, it, it, it says, hello. I'm the devil. I'm the father of all lives, and, and I only intend to, to still kill and destroy you. Do you want to make do you want to make a deal? Folks, that's it. That's his MO, and he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't change. And, and, and I want you to know, I want you to know right now, lean in. I want you to know that that he's good at it. He's he's really, really good at it. He, he's been doing it for centuries and millennials and, and generations, and he's good at it. He's been doing it, folks, forever. And he's been doing it with great patience. And he's been learning all the tricks. And, and, and I want us to think about this word, this word schemes that's in the text, because in the Greek, it literally translates and means methods, okay? Okay, so, so I just want you to know that the devil has a different method, a different scheme, a different method specifically crafted for you, and he has a different one 
completely for me. And, and each person with great specificity, Satan targets and, and utilizes these, these methods of attack at our weaknesses and at our personal bents towards sin or, or insecurity or fear and failure. And, and I want you to know that Satan will put a 20-year methodical hit plan onto you, and he will patiently wait to get his ultimate Victory. This is what Paul's. Oh, you you got you got to lean into this. So even if Satan doesn't take you out on day one, you don't think you're off the hook. Like, oh, whew, I did this really bad thing. Uh, I guess God doesn't care. Uh, 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 uh. Even if Satan doesn't get you in in day one, or even in five years, he's incredibly patient in his methods and his methods of destruction, folks, towards Christians. They're numerous. He has, he has countless methods of ways to take you out. And, and sometimes, folks, he's, he's dramatically patient in his methods and waits 30 and 40 years to take out even the most strongest Christians. Just, just consider King David. David was known as being one of the most righteous men that, 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 that could ever be. He was as righteous as they come. He stood firm in his faith. He was known for taking out Goliath and shutting the mouth of the lions. I mean, this man was righteous, holy, and he, he was known for this decade after decade after decade. But Satan, folks, he waited patiently for David to become lazy and to take his eyes off the Lord. Oh, this is going to be so, so important. And, and while Satan was waiting, he learned David and he was developing methods of destruction to activate against, against David's weakness, waiting for there to be a chink in David's armor. And so he prepared these methods for the, for the right time. So, so once David started growing lazy for the first time in his 50s, oh, what an exhortation for you. If you're a 50-year-old and a 6-year-old and a 70-year-old and you've been walking with the Lord, this is, a, this is a direct exhortation to be careful because as David grew lazy and laggardly in his 50s, he started taking off some of this armor that he had weared so he wore so faithfully. He started saying to himself, I have most of my armor on all the time and all my life. I don't need to be as focused anymore. I'm good. I'm okay. And I'm strong. I'm strong in the Lord. I don't need all this armor all the time. And, and when David started to make that that catastrophic mistake, Satan leaned in and activated all these methods of attack and all these methods of destruction that he had been constructing and waiting on, and then he launched them on David, and David was ultimately brought, folks, to great shame. He, he ended up offending God and offending his family and offending his country, and ultimately it cost David one of his own children. They lost their life because of David. This, this godly man with the best reputation of holiness and righteousness and valor in the Lord for 30 plus years was brought to shame in the end of his life. So, 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 so folks, I want you to know that Satan is incredibly gifted and patient and has incredible endurance as he plans schemes and methods of attack on us. Okay, okay, so, and so Paul is saying to you, and Paul is saying to me, be ready, stay ready in this battle of the Christian war. Be strong always in the Lord and in the strength of his might or in that reserved power. Paul is saying, get armored up. You got to get armored up and you got to stay armored up. You got to stay dressed 
and ready for action and ready for battle so that you can withstand the schemes or in the Greek, the methods of of the devil. I hope this is making sense to you. I want to preach this so faithfully, so simply, because it's so profound. Now, now listen, I'm 34 years old, and I have a wife, and I have two kids. I'm, I'm mentoring a young man that, that lives with me right now. I'm professionally counseling multiple individuals through really hard things. I'm, I'm leading a small but a very important church plant that I believe has great potential in this area. But let me just be honest. Most of you don't know me very much personally. You just don't. Okay, okay. You you watch my you watch my sermons, and perhaps you've met with me here and there occasionally. So okay, okay. You know me in that way, but I just want you to know that life is tough, and it's a battle zone for me too. There are days where I'm just down and out for the count. I have I have stuff going on in my life that weighs my my spirit down, and I'm dealing and I'm aware of of sin that's plaguing my life, and I'm battling it. And I'm saying, God, help me with this. I don't want to keep getting trapped up in these in these ways, folks. I'm constantly plagued by my physical disability, and it threatens me, and it makes me want to give up sometimes. I got relational stuff going on in my family with other extended family members that I want to be reconciled, but it's but it's still not. And I have tough areas in my marriage. I'm just going to be honest. I have tough areas in my marriage, and I'm trying to work through that. And we're trying to always you know, grow closer together and to work and to heal and to trust and to be stronger together. I have, I have church stuff. I have, I have community stuff that, that boggles me down and, and overwhelms me and, and stresses me out sometimes. I'm just, I'm just, being, I'm just being honest with you today. So, so yes, the, the, this pressure, it's heavy. Life is heavy. We are in a war all the time. Pay attention. Because of my status in the Lord, not because of my title at this church, not because of what I do on the stage, not because of what I do on these cameras, but because of my status in the Lord, because of my status in Jesus, I am smiling and I'm filled with joy more days than I'm not, despite all these things, because it's not about me and it's not about my mistakes or my sin or my failures or the pressure of life on me as your pastor i can even have joy in the lord despite my struggle with sin because it's about the lord it's not about me and that is the message that the world needs to hear today folks and they need to hear it from you and they need to hear it from me because the world is moving fast downstream directly to the cliff of destruction and separation from god forever in hell. And, and I can't stop it, and, and neither can you. We can't stop that. We can't stop this river. It's going one way, and the Bible says it's going to an end. This world's going to end as we, as we know it. But, but what I can do as your pastor, and what you can join me in as a glad ambassador of the kingdom, is to, is to let the world know. We can do this together. We can let the world know that there's a life-saving ring of truth available to them. Are you with me? There's a life-saving ring of truth available to them. There's a way off this dangerous river and back, folks, onto dry, on a dry land. And though we're all going to die one day, and some of us, let's just be honest, we're not going to die well, God has provided a life-saving ring of truth so we don't have to fall off the cliff of eternal separation 
from him forever. But, but that's going to require you and me to take our attention off of ourselves. You've got to do that. And you've got to put our attention on God. I can't tell you, in 15 years as a pastor and a counselor, the greatest struggle that gets people tripped up and trapped up is they can't get over themselves, their weaknesses, their, 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 their fears, their failures, their, their, their family strife, whatever it is, they can't move on. Get your eyes on the cross. Get your eyes on God. Get your eyes up into the heavenly places. Get your eyes looking towards eternity. The whole story, God's story, our story moving into God's story, this redemptive story is not about you primarily. It is not about your sin. It is about God's love for you and me despite our weakness let that in your heart people of god but hear me out the strength that comes from that reality will make you so strong and so stable and so so secure my brother and sister so be strong in the Lord by the power of his potential reserved cosmic creative power because he will activate it for you at a moment's notice when you're at your weakest. If you believe by faith, no matter what the situation is that you find yourself in today or next week or next year, you're strong in the Lord. Say, I'm strong in the Lord. You got to say it out of your lips. I'm strong in the Lord. Never forget the acronym that I lifted up at the beginning of this sermon of faith. Forget it all. I trust him. Forget it all. I trust God. I, I messed up, but I forget it all. I laid at your feet, Jesus. I, I messed up. I tripped up, but I forget it all. I lay it down. Oh, my husband did this, but I forget it all. I forgive him. I forget it all. I trust you. My wife did this. I forget it all. And bow your head. I did. I forget it all. Forget it all. My, my, my kid hurt my feelings, but I'm going to forget it all. And I'm going to trust him. It doesn't matter what it is. I lost my job. They didn't treat me right, but I I'm going to forget it all, and I'm going to trust the God of the universe. Man, I could just keep going and going and going because God's word is so deep, it's so wide, it's so valuable, it's so simple, but it's so profound. But we have, we have two more weeks, folks. We have two more weeks to really fully open up this whole conversation about the armor. And we're going to look at that in practical applications. And I'm so, I'm so excited about that. So, so let me land the plane on this sermon this way. And I want, to be, I want to be very, very clear. Yes, we are all strong Christians in the Lord. We are. However, there are definitely things, hey, lean in, there are definitely things that make us stronger or weaker. So we're strong by default, but there's things that will make us even stronger or that weaken that strength. Therefore, it'll affect our lives. So, so, so next week, I'm going to walk us through a list of six ways that we can weaken our faith because we don't want that. No. But we're going to look at that as a warning. Hey, these are six things that get in our way and they weaken us. And then I'm going to lay out seven ways that we can grow even stronger from our already strong position in our faith and ultimately in our, in our confidence in the Lord. And then after we do that, we're going to jump into some more fruitful application about this whole armor of God thing as we start to fillet this thing open 
even more. And I hope you're crazy excited about all this. I hope you're so excited. I hope you're excited. I hope you're just pumped up right now. I hope you're not growing callous. I hope you're not growing callous to the precious word of God that's being exhorted in the book of Ephesians just because we've been in this series a long time. I hope you're so encouraged by the God of the universe who's using Paul, this strong, victorious Christian who's battle-tested in the book of Ephesians. I hope that you know that you have absolutely no shot at having peace and joy in your life if you're not standing in God by the power of His reserved, cosmic, creative power. I hope that you know that all the time and the effort that you've spent in your life or in this series learning how to sit and know he's God and looking up the seven identifiable blessings, all that that you've been doing in chapters one through three, and I hope that you know that all your learnings from chapters four through some of chapter six about walking and don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that, I hope you know that all that as well, all these new Christ-centered activities, I hope you know that all of it is completely irrelevant. All your sitting and knowing and seven identifiable blessings, that's irrelevant. I hope you know that all your walking, do this, don't do that, put away sexual morality, don't sin, filthy talk. I hope you know that all of it, all of it is irrelevant if Satan's fiery darts are aimed at you and they take you out. No more. No more. We stand in Christ. So, so I hope you know that if you don't learn to stand victorious in Christ by being strong in the Lord, by the power of his reserved cosmic strength, and if you don't secure your position in Christ with this armor, put the armor on, if me and you don't resolve that we are called and commanded to stand, folks, We're going to be compromised and incredibly vulnerable in this war. Therefore, therefore, I hope you're incredibly focused right now. I hope that in your heart you're like, Pastor, I wish we could keep going. I hope we can, I just wish we could keep going. I hope that you're focused right now and encouraged to lean in over these next two final sermons in Ephesians, because this armor of God literally is your protection. It's your protection to ensure that when you die, you arrive where you desire to be. And that's in the safe hands of the living God because of the blood that Jesus shed. He paid the price. You are not separated from him anymore, but you got to have your strength in the Lord. You got to have this armor on so that Satan doesn't try to take you out and to get and to call you and to woo you into radical unbelief. His goal is to separate you from God, but we are going to stand in the Lord because of the blood-bought, Christ-conquering, destiny-awarded gift of eternity with God as victorious Christians. That's our aim for the next two weeks. That's our hope for the next two weeks, and that's where we're going to pray. Let's, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, we are so thankful that you're a good, good God. You are such a good, good Father. And Lord, we just repent right now. Every time we've put your blood-bought, sacrificial, giving up your Son, conquering over our sin, love, 
that we do this all the time. And we resolve today, I got brothers and sisters in multiple state lines, and we're, we're coming together, and we're lifting our, our hands, and we're opening our hearts, and we're saying, Jesus, we're done doing it our way, and we want to do it your way. So Lord, help us. Help us to know that we're strong in the Lord. I hope that every Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian walks out of this sermon, Lord, believing that they're strong in the Lord, not based upon their strength, not based upon their weaknesses, not based upon their insecurities, but by the cosmic reserved power that you are ready to unleash on our behalf when darkness tries to invade. But Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would put on that armor. Oh yeah, I pray that we would put on that armor so that it protects and guards that beautiful strength that you've placed within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we be prepared, excited, and ready to activate over these next two weeks as we walk as soldiers in this Christian war because you're powerful, you are mighty, and victory is the Lord's. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Grace and peace.